to receive what God has for you. You are here to receive something. Amen. See you now. Are you ready to receive something? Yes, Lord. Boy, I don't know what happened to my front row people up here. Just hit these buttons and things happen that I don't want to happen. Anyway, it's good to be here with you. Let me move my stuff around. Yeah, thank you guys for coming. I'm starting to feel a little lonesome up here. My eyes are better, but I really need somebody to be closer so I can look them in the eye when I'm speaking. Something great happens when that occurs. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about moving past forgiveness tonight. How many of y'all know you got to forgive? Peter asked Jesus, said, how many times do we have to forgive? Seven? He said, 70 times seven. That's 490 times. That could be for the same thing. That's more than a year forgiven every day. It's like a year and a half's worth of forgiven. But you know, you got to do it if you got to do it, if you need to do it. Look at Colossians chapter 3 with me tonight. And Pastor, you got your mic ready? We're going to do some reading. 3.13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against you, another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Jesus forgave you, so you got to forgive others. No matter what it was. The forgiveness releases you. Somebody not, might not receive your forgiven them. It's like the story Brother Gorman used to tell about the family and they got their little boy a little red pickup truck to play with on the dirt outside. I used to have one of those. You had these little shovels and you'd dig and put it in the back and you'd sit around and you'd get all dirty doing it. But boy, it sure was fun. And so the little neighbor boy was playing with him and so he took it took it home with him and the little boy was crying he went inside and they said well, what what is it what happened and so uh, he told him said Billy or Bobby or whatever his name was down the street took my little red pickup truck and they the father said I'll take care of it you know how us dads are I'm gonna take care of it and so he marched right down there, and he's a Christian believer. And he knocked on the door, and the little boy came to the door, and he said, I forgive you for taking my little boy's red truck. Turned around and walked away. <laughs> About an hour later, this little boy come to the house and rang the doorbell, and the dad went to it. And the little boy had the little red pickup truck. And he said, yes. He said, well, I forgive you too. Here's your truck. <laughs> he said, well, why, why is that? He said, because it seemed like it made you feel so good to say that I wanted to feel good too. Anyway, it does feel good to forgive. You know, it releases you from it. I mean, they can have it. And when they have it, it piles in on them. You know what? God deals with them during that time. I'm going to give you three quotes. First one's by R.T. Kendall. He said, I sometimes think it would be good if I preached this message. Is that he, he was writing a book on forgiveness, and it's called Total Forgiveness, every week. Why is that? Because you'll have somebody you need to forgive about every week of your life. And so it's good to be reminded of it. But he said, I need to preach this every week. Reverend Robert L. Hog Hogdom, 
he was a priest, he said at least 90%, he was a counselor too, and over 20 years of counseling, he said at least 90% of all health, marital, family, financial problems seem to be caused by unforgiveness. He was a professional counselor. It started out, as I read some of his materials, started out that he said when he first started about five years into it, he said he thought 50% of people's problems were caused by unforgiveness. Then after he had been in the counseling for 10 years, he said, well, I think it's more like 70 to 80%. Then after he had been in a Christian ministry and counseling for 20 years, he said, no, I think it's 90% plus that the problems are rooted in unforgiveness. Of course, one of my mentors, Brother Ken Summerall, Papa Ken as we called him, he said unforgiveness eventually evolves into bitterness. So if you let it stay there, you know, it's not so hot, not so good. And Philip, I don't know where I placed that on the notes. I wrote it in. Yeah. Did you put that in after I wrote that on the Hebrews chapter 12, 14, and 15? You got it, Pastor? You want me to read it? Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Mm. See, they become roots. You know, they always said you'll know what kind of root by what kind of fruit. Somebody's bearing good fruit, you know the roots are healthy. If they're not bearing good fruit in their life, then the roots are not healthy. So it's very important that you pursue peace with everybody. I saw Claire, uh, let's see, what's her married name? Anyway, her husband was the president of Commerce Bank down there for a while, and he's retired. Richard Landers, now he's retiring next month. And uh, Claire is his wife, and she was a Robertson. Dr. Robertson and his wife, uh, they went sometimes to New Covenant Fellowship, and then she followed me and came to our ministries and heard me preach many times. She was a friend of Carol Dilley's. And her brother Sam died in a car wreck, when he was going to Columbia University, or University of Missouri in Columbia, and uh, he got hit by a tractor-trailer truck, and he exited this world. But uh, he and her were fraternal twins. Anyway, I was telling her the story. We saw them at Casa Grande, and she was wondering if I was in Sam's class or if I was in her sister Lily's class in school. And I said, no, I was in Sam's class. And I said, in fact, when we were at the old Mark Twain, you know, I was in elementary school, and Pastor Ken was too. We went to a museum at school, at least at the museum now, old Mark Twain on Main Street. <laughs> that was where I went to first, second, and third grade. I didn't go to kindergarten. I don't know if that's because I was so smart, but I don't think you had to back in those days. So my mom didn't make me. Well, I had a little board that I learned the numbers and the alphabet, you know, and then I went to first grade, ended up becoming a museum. But I told her, I said, Sam and I got into a big argument one day in the second grade on the playground. And we started slapping at each other and swinging at each other. You know how that goes when you're in elementary. Everybody's just going like this with your eyes closed. <coughs> we got in trouble. We got a spanking from the teacher. But then when we went to afternoon recess, you know, we made up. And we didn't even remember having that fight. And we had our arms around each other's neck marching around that playground. We were buddies again. You know, it doesn't last long when you forgive. You know, things can really get in your spirit and damage your heart, you know and such but anyway Ken Summerall said unforgiveness can evolve into bitterness and that's what the scripture said it said 
if you don't pursue peace with people, then whatever's in your heart, it can become a root of bitterness, and then it can defile other people. You know, we've heard of the different ones, like Romeo and Juliet. That was a tragic story because their families did not get along. And so they died instead of living. The Hatfields and McCoys, that was another uh, couple of families in history that we always heard about that were in a feud with each other. And uh, if you watch the old Andy Griffin show on TV, the black and white show, you know, where they whistle at the beginning and on their way out, uh, they, they had a couple of families on there that were feuding. You still got people who feud. I mean, you can have a neighbor that just refuses to get along with you or something. Thankfully, I didn't ever have that. But, you know, I've been through things where it seems like about every six or seven years, somebody comes along that the devil tries to use to just twist a little bit of something in my gut, if you know what I mean. But you learn to put it behind you. You know what? This isn't heaven on earth. Nobody has heaven on earth. I took my Aunt Barbara with Pastor Ken and my brother, my wife, to the St. Louis Cardinals baseball game. She said, what, have I died and gone to heaven? She wanted to go to a ball game, but she had never been before. She was 82 years old. She thought that was so great. We had her over for Thanksgiving dinner. She just watched the kids. I mean, they were like, she was just smiling. She didn't have a lot to say, but she loved it. She said, what, is this heaven? I said, no, but you're going to go one day. She said, I don't know. I might be going down there. I said, I don't think so. You told me you were baptized in the Baptist church. She was here on Sunday sitting on the front row. Second Sunday or second service, whatever. She's coming back next Sunday. Because I think we took her to eat. She said, can I do this again? But you know, this is not heaven on earth. And it's never going to be easy. You might have easier times. Sometimes the road may be smoother than other times. But this is practice. It's a journey that is getting you somewhere so that you can be in heaven one day. It's perfecting you on earth, see. Tanya, we're never going to be perfect here. He is perfecting us one day at a time. Remember that song? I don't even remember who sang it. Randy, you probably know. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. Do you remember who sang it? Yeah. Might have been. Who? It was a woman, yes. Somebody answer that for me, would you? Tell them I'm not here. Or tell them I am here. Daddy Rambo. <laughs> oh, we're just having fun here, aren't we? We're just with the home folks. Well, I'm glad you came up here, though. That made me feel good. That helped me get over a little bitterness. <laughs> anyway. But define bitterness means to carry bitter. Well, how did I get bitter on there? just been bitter to carry bitter thoughts towards someone who has wronged you or to have resentment and unforgiveness for some real or supposed wrong did you know you can get it wrong sometimes and you can hold something against somebody and they didn't even know they didn't even do it so they've been sleeping good every night and you've been up in the middle of the night walking the floor saying I can't believe they did that or said that about me. And then you find out it wasn't them. <laughs> Somebody else. So you got to stay up another night. <laughs> Walking the floor over them. But sometimes we think things and it tends to try to control us. It tries to mess our thinking up. But we got to get over it. You know, we've been talking about inner healing. And once you start seeing what God's revealing, then you've got to do something with it. 
But I remember this one elder in Florida. I've told this story a few times, but I'll make it short and quick. But this guy, he really, he was covetous of my position as the pastor of the church. Now, you got to understand, I took this church in Florida with about 90 people, 100 people, and it grew to 450. The hurricane destroyed it. I was back down to 100 or so again. And then I had to rebuild a whole campus in Dade County, Miami-Dade County, one of the toughest counties in the United States. It about drove me crazy. It was difficult. And it took me years to do it all. And so it ended up being that as time went on, what I'm trying to tell you is I paid a price. And we started programs. We started a Christian school. We started a Christian daycare. We had a fabulous praise and worship team. We had developed so many areas of ministry. And I was young, so I had the energy level for it. And I was growing, and God was developing me. But in a certain time frame, it was five years after I went there, this man that was a little older, he became my golfing buddy. We'd go golfing. <coughs> and I didn't divulge anything that would have led to him thinking wrongly of me. But uh, there was a lady in the church, her son was a singer on the praise team. I don't know what's on, but it's distracting. Something's on back there. Oh, somebody's got a phone call. Just tell them you'll talk to them later. But anyway, now I'm distracted. <laughs> I distracted myself. <laughs> I was, I'd been golfing, but... This lady's son was on the praise team. Her husband dies. He died on his way to church with his Bible in one hand and his tithe check in the other. And this was an African-American family, some of my best supporters. And Sister Ola, she always said she was my kid's black grandma. She bought him Christmas presents, birthday presents. She loves Zach, I tell you. Because, you know, they ended up, you know, with Brother Joe passing away. And uh, I did that funeral, and he had been a, a retired military, and he had uh, been a school security cop. So the funeral was jam-packed with teenagers, teachers, all kinds of people. And it was phenomenal, really. But she decided to give a tithe off the insurance policy that she had got from him. And she brought it to me and she said, what I'd like if you want to do it, if you want to produce that album that our music pastor was talking about doing, said I'll pay for it and give you this money. So I said, well, that's great. She said, because I know you love missions. And once you produce the album... As you sell it, use the proceeds from the sales to go to missions. And so I did that. And uh, so this guy, wise guy that he was, Lord, I forgive him again. <laughs> he tried to tell the board that I'd mishandled mission money. No way. We brought in $9,000 that year in offerings to missions. I gave 39000 back to missions that year. And we produced the album. We quadrupled what we actually brought in. And God blessed it. Of course, the board didn't believe it. I, when he came in before the board, I just sat there and I didn't say anything. I let them do all the talking. Well, you, you weren't there, were you? That was 1996. I call that the Battle of 96. Certain years stick out in your mind that you have to go through certain things. But, And I told that story because 
I would ride my riding lawnmower. Down in Florida, you got to mow every week because it rains every day, at least 20, 30 minutes. So everything's green, grass grows. So I was mowing the grass, and Zach usually rode with me on the mower. At that time, he was like five years old. Then Alicia wanted to start riding it with me, and I'd ride. If they weren't riding with me, I'd pray, and I'd say, Lord, I forgive him. I'd pray about it. I'd say, I bless him. And uh, one day the Lord said, you don't have to pray that prayer anymore. I said, what? He said, because you don't have any malice in your heart toward him, you have forgiven him. See, if you got malice in your heart, you know what? You want to knock their block off. I didn't want to knock his block off. I felt sorry for him because as soon as he did that, you know, he had defaulted on this Windows deal with us in our rebuilding efforts. He was a contractor. And he defaulted with the First Baptist Church of Homestead. And they sued him. And he lost his contractor's license and lost a bunch of money, went bankrupt, and had to move back to Jacksonville. That's terrible. I didn't wish that on him. I didn't pray that on him. I just kept blessing him. I mean, I got close to him. I did his daughter's wedding, you know. And uh, it was just how it was. But he wanted my position. He thought if he could get rid of me, they'd look at him as the guy who saved the day and step in. But that wasn't how our Constitution bylaws worked. That wasn't how that church worked. And I'd paid a price over five years to bring that church back to life two times. Worked hard. We're talking about 80, 90 hours a week hard. You know. I'd run home just to spend time with the family, jump in the swimming pool, jump out, get dressed, go back for another meeting. And I had something going every day, every night of the week. And uh, fasting and praying and preaching and traveling and all kinds of stuff, you know. But I had to forgive this guy. And I did forgive him. And then the Lord said, you don't have to pray for him anymore because you don't have any malice towards him. That's important. See, you'll know you forgave somebody when you don't feel like knocking their block off. So, anyway, here I am with my, my deal. and Notes have gone off the screen. This is the thing I haven't got used to, Zach. You're going to have to teach me how to get my notes to stay lit up. Oh, it's telling me it doesn't understand now. Somehow. Put my password back in. There. Praise the Lord. Anyway, statement number one is this. Unforgiveness causes hurt. Everybody say hurt. That's inner pain, pain on the inside. And there is not anyone alive who hasn't had to deal with it. Everybody in this place tonight, you're the right person for me to speak this message to. Because we all have hurts. And we've got to learn to forgive. Statement number two, forgiveness is the greatest need in the church today. Amen? And I hope I can do this okay tonight. But I read a story by this guy. And I hope it doesn't last too long. But it was so powerful. This guy named Rick, and he told this story to another lady who wrote it down for him. As my 18-year-old daughter, Katie's health, wasted away, all I could think about was hunting down the boy who had date-raped her. I had a plan to kill the guy. I've never been much of a talker. Maybe I communicate better with my hands. I'm a mechanic, and I thought I could beat, fix anything. When the washing machine 
or the con air conditioner and the water heater broke, I fixed them. But I couldn't fix my own daughter. I couldn't put her together again. Who did it, said my voice, flat as a piece of steel. I only know a nickname, my wife Julie whispered in the early morning darkness. Katie just admitted she was raped 14 months ago. It's too late to press charges, and if we don't do something quick about her anorexia, she's going to die. After the rape, Katie started secretly vomiting and starving herself. We didn't know why until that December morning when we finally pieced the story together. One night, Julie couldn't sleep, and she thumbed through a magazine. After reading an article on date rape, her instincts revealed that this is what had triggered Katie's eating disorder. She woke Katie, who finally admitted the truth. Then Julie woke me before sunrise. I knew the guy was as good as dead. I grew up hunting and had a gun cabinet full of rifles, as well as four pistols for target practice. Even if it cost my life, he'd pay. I should have been there to stop it, I thought. That's what fathers do, protect their families. My angel felt red hot and fiery for months. It moved around in my head and jolted me awake at night, make him pay for what he did. We have three children. Jamie was 24, then Katie, and Thomas was 14. But there has always been the current, this current running between Katie and me. She earned a softball college scholarship, and I'd coached her over the years. Scrappy, that's Katie. Then, in early spring of her freshman year of college, she decided no more college softball. She said she wanted to change schools. It didn't make sense. In July, Katie came home for dinner. We noticed extreme changes. What are you staring at? She snapped at Julie. Something looked dead in her eyes. Julie stared at her. You've lost weight. I agreed. I'm your dad, and I'm telling you, you're too skinny. I'm fine. I've been real busy. She uh, piled her food and divided it like a squirrel hoarding for the winter. For the first time in my life, I couldn't fix something broken. Instead, I'd sit on the concrete floor of my shop and stare at the old Triumph motorcycle I was restoring. Machines felt predictable. A few weeks later, uh, after finding out about the rape, Julie curled up behind me in bed and talked to my back. She's worse. She won't go for counseling. In my mind, that amounted to, you're her father. Be a man. I kept still. I faced the wall and watched the red glow of the alarm clock in the dark. My jaws tight. I raked my teeth left and right. If I knew how to fix her, don't you think I would? I pulled back from Julie and everybody else. Get up. Go to work. Think about the plan. Try to forget. Go home. Try to go to sleep. Dream the plan. I plotted to drive through the campus and use my Smith & Wesson 243 caliber boat-action rifle. Someone would know his real name. I'd sit in the parking lot as long as necessary until he walked by. Then I could get it out of my head and Katie could start eating again. Katie came home for the weekend, two months after the truth came out. When she entered a room, I walked out. It tore me up to see her. She and I didn't talk much anymore. I missed watching the Atlanta Braves with her. I missed laughing with her. I just plain missed her. My son Thomas and I were alone in my, in my truck that Friday night, driving home from the baseball game. What's wrong with Katie, he asked, fidgeting with the door lock on my truck. What do you mean? She's skinny. 
son, something bad happened to your sister at college. A boy hurt her. It's making her sick. He didn't ask any more questions. Julie tried to tempt her with a great meal on Saturday. Sitting across from Katie, I kept my eyes on my food. It felt as though we lived in a different or in a funeral home. The only sounds were the clanking of silverware and the clinking of ice. I couldn't take the phoniness. I slammed my chair to the table, took off to my room in the basement. I'd spent a lot of time down there in my getaway room of guns and sports channel. Methodically, I started cleaning the rifle I'd used. Then I heard Thomas trotting downstairs. What you doing, Dad? I kept on cleaning and never looked at him. I rocked in my recliner with the gun across my lap. Can I help you clean? I didn't say a word. You going hunting? I looked up at him, his eyes so brown they looked almost black, just like mine. He stood inches from my knees. He, his hair cut to match a G.I. Joe flat top, just like mine. I kept my gaze on my son and moved the red rag around in circles. Our eyes met, Thomas's eyes brimmed with tears. He knows, dear God, I think my son knows my plan. I stopped polishing the gun and laid it on the floor by the chair. Come here, boy. Give your daddy a hug. He wrapped his arms around me tight as a cobra. Thomas's love was somehow stronger than my hatred. His hug began to crumble my rage like a sledgehammer breaking a wall, chip by chip. Sweet Jesus, what have I been thinking my job's not finished forgive me thomas isn't raised if i go to jail he won't have a father god help me looking locking the gun in the cabinet i made a choice to forgive god i gotta let go of this hate it's killing me the decision started in my head not any feeling and I swallowed back tears. Thomas and I walked upstairs together, my arm on his shoulder. I had come so close. That night I confessed my plan to Julie. We prayed together, and kneeling by her bed, changes followed in my family too. Katie had dropped to 78 pounds. Out of that particular, of the particular options, Julie and I prayed for her like never before. Julie prayed out loud against the deceit and self-destruction that had taken over the past year. As she prayed, something broke in Katie. For the first time, she began to believe us. After the prayer, Katie drove to the mall to buy some clothes to fit her tiny frame. Staring in that dressing room mirror, she told us was the moment she finally realized that her arms and legs were like spaghetti. She saw, really saw, her vertebrae jutting out of her skin. Like an infection draining from a wound, Katie began talking about the destructive thoughts she had had. She shared more about that horrific night, her freshman year. As, the, as she felt free to tell the truth, she began to regain her weight. Bringing the secret to light was liberating and life-saving. Our family physician put Katie on a healthy diet and helped us monitor her progress. Our church also has worked with us through Katie's recovery in time. I was able to share this story at a man, men's breakfast. Julie shared it before the whole church during a Mother's Day service, and Katie herself gave her testimony to our youth group at a purity weekend. The more she talked, the healthier she became. These days, Katie is smiling again. This spring, she will marry James, 
a fine young man who loves and respects her. By God's grace, our daughter is alive again. Some time has passed since Julie's powerful prayer, and I still marvel at God's response. The only way for me to live was to forgive. And that was something I couldn't do by myself. When I finally admitted my weakness, God rescued us with his unfailing strength. This family's from Georgia, and there is a, a website about date rape and a national assault, sexual assault hotline, and so on. But I was reading several stories in this book here, and uh, quite interesting. But forgiveness is the greatest need in the church today. The church needs to learn to forgive. Because what it does is, is you know, it, it separates people. Unforgiveness. It divides a church when people don't forgive. And, uh, you know, I was a coach, and I coached boys, high school boys. You know, and I was tough. I'm not saying I'm such a tough guy, but I was a tough coach. I mean, you had to toe the line. We didn't goof off. We we practiced to win. And so I got used to yelling a lot on the court and so on. Well, when I became a father, I had to, of course, I showed my kids lots of love. But sometimes when I'd get on to them, I'd be pretty harsh, you know. And then I'd have to go and tell them I'm sorry. You know, many times I've done that. And it's because they, you know, it's like Lucia kind of had to tell me, they're not your, your players, they're your kids. You know, you got to show them love. And so, now my kids deserved it once in a while, i got to tell you that, though. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but let's look at Hebrews 9.14. We're going to look at a few short scriptures here. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Isn't that awesome? Man, he gave his blood to cleanse us, cleanse our minds, cleanse our conscience from dead works. There's a lot of things that have been done that we have to accept Christ's forgiveness. And so... What do I read in Colossians 3.13? You have to forgive because Christ forgave. You know, we're not, we're not going to become like him until we do what he does, which is love and forgive and so on. You know, it's very important. Romans 8.1 and 2, another couple of good scriptures. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen. He's forgiven us. We're not bound by the law. The law reveals sin. That's what the law was here for. It's not because some people have to have the law because they haven't received Christ's forgiveness. They haven't begun to walk in His grace yet. Grace allows you to walk without condemnation, to be free from your past. And part of that past has people and issues that you have to forgive. And as you forgive them, now I didn't say you have to respect them. Now you've got to respect them as a person, but not respect what they've done or are doing at the moment or time. You know, we still have to be kind, but you don't have to trust everybody that comes along. You know, I forgive lots of people, but I don't give them the keys to my car. You know, they don't deserve to drive my car. I don't give them the keys to my house. You know, uh, not everybody. I've known some pastors, they just let anybody and everybody come spend the night at their house. I told my wife, I said, we're not going to do that. 
if I got to rent a hotel room for somebody, I'll do that before I'll bring them into my home and expose my children to somebody that maybe has some big trouble and big issues, big problems. So you learn to set your boundaries. But you can forgive people, but it doesn't mean you trust them until they earn it. And so, it, you know, it's part of growing. Let's look at Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Isn't that awesome? He knows every one of you that are here tonight. He's got a hope for you. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for every one of your children. He's got a future for them. And no matter what we go through, we're going through. We're not staying back there. We're going to grow. And most of the time, God, when there's lemons, he'll help make lemonade out of it. You know, like, did you hear the story I read? The lady gave her testimony on Mother's Day. The girl gave her testimony at a weekend youth group deal, and the father talked to the men's group, you know. You have people that you can touch and influence and help them to learn from what happened to you. Then in Philippians 3, 8, and 9. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Whom, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Amen. How many of you have done things that you had to get Jesus to forgive you for? Yeah. Amen. How many have had things done to you or your family that you had a right to knock their block off. But it's not spiritually correct. They always talk about politically correct, but spiritually correct says, I've got to forgive even if it's seven times 70. And when I do, but that doesn't mean a person that you forgive gets away with everything. Remember the story I told you? The guy lost his business because he was a crook. He tried to contaminate my reputation. And it seems like that pops up and people try to do things every six or seven years. It's a cycle. But you'll make it through every time. <coughs> and the thing that I learned, the Lord told me in that meeting that night, he said, don't open your mouth to defend yourself. If you're truly forgiving, then you don't have to let that get in your spirit and become a root of bitterness. You know, and I've had to learn because sometimes it's easy to talk about it. But I had a dream, and it was a few years after that. I dreamed that this man and his wife were old. They were older than me. They were in their 50s at that time. Now they'd be up in their probably around 80-something. But they were quite a bit older than when I knew them. And I saw them in their old age. And I had, in the dream, there was a great complex built. And I said, come, I want to show you what God has done. And I showed them some of the works and some of the buildings that have been built for the ministry. And I was... I was just loving and kind. I, I didn't have to be mean towards them. See, I didn't have to take vengeance on them. God just let it play out on its own. <laughs> and that's the way the Lord is. You just don't want to get stuck in the middle of where the truck might run over you too while it's running over the other guy. You, know, you want to make sure you're clear so you forgive. doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable. doesn't mean that you don't keep tight boundaries, but it, you still can't hold it as a bitter root inside of you because then it will hurt other people. 
in uh, statement three is this. We can release the unforgiveness and resentments and stop defending ourselves for the perceived hurts someone caused and then forgive them. You see, you release it and don't, ha don't hang on to it. In other words, I don't have to say, but you don't understand how many times have y'all said that or you heard it. But you don't understand what they did. You don't understand what they tried to do to me. I could say that. Boy, I learned to say that real well. But I had to ride that more a lot of weeks, praying and forgiving, till finally he did a work in me. He said, you don't have to pray for him anymore. You've released any unforgiveness, any resentments. I didn't worry about it. In fact, he had stolen $1,000 on a deposit for the windows that weren't even permittable in our county. I said to the board, because they were ready to go the, to the police, to the law. I said, nah, over $1,000? No, I'm not going to hold any malice over $1,000. That's just a little bit of cash. If I can forgive that thousand, maybe somebody will forgive me one day. Amen? Yeah. It's kind of cool because I had a debt forgiven not long after that. And I think it was like $7,000. I didn't ask for it. It just happened. But isn't God good? See, when you release things, and don't hang on to him. God, his freedom, and his liberty is awesome. And it's very powerful. So, I don't know that I need any forgiveness from any of y'all tonight. But if I ever do, please tell me. I'll certainly say I'm sorry. And mean it. Let me just ask you, how many of y'all... Have the old slew foot coming at you trying to make you not forgive. All right? Well, I tell you what, if you'll forgive, what you do is you take it out of the power of your control and put it into God's control. Woo! I got chill bumps when I said that. You put it in God's hands and His control. And he will do a better job than you by far of dealing with the people. And, uh, you know, if you count it as unto the Lord, like that $1,000, man, that, that's a lot of money if you count it 30 times or 100 times, 60 or 100 times fold. You know, what's, what's 100 times 1,000? 100,000, isn't it? Yeah. 100,000 is worth a whole lot more than 1,000 if you put a value on it, is what I'm saying. So if you give it over to the Lord, you're giving it to Him. It's up to Him. He can do with it what He wants. And usually He'll bless you out of it because He's going to show the one that has the right attitude and the right spirit he decides he's going to pour out a blessing on you that you can't even hold. And he'll help you get down the road on your journey in a healthier way. Remember I told you, it doesn't mean it's easier, but you can be healthier when you're going through the rough stuff, rough patches. No, it's not easy when we lose a loved one like Randy's going through it twice now in about three weeks. No, it's not easy lose a loved one like that you lost your mom you know we lose people in our lives sister Di lost her husband and her her surrogate father who was her brother-in-law actually but family members we lose we have losses but God gives us things in place he replaces you can't ever replace that person in your heart and life but he gives you somebody that helps make up the difference. My father was a mental patient, bipolar, had a lot of issues, but he was still a godly father. And I learned a lot, but he gave me 
Brother Gorman and Brother Summerall, you know, people that became my mentors. Man, I couldn't have chosen better ones. But God makes up the difference. If you release it, He'll give it in place of. He'll give you healing in place of hurt. He'll give you peace and joy in place of bitterness and resentment. And He'll give you an ability to show love in the place of anger. I mean, you know, anger is just a root of control. When you get mad, you're trying to control somebody. You don't have to get mad if God's got it in His hands. He'll deal with it. And I tell you what, once He does it, it's done right. Amen. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, you are so good. And thank you that we can forgive. Just get somebody in your mind, if you have somebody that the devil's trying to work against you and put in your mind right now. And Lord, the word said, if we forgive, you forgive. And boy, do we need it. So, uh, Lord, we ask you to help us forgive those that have tried to harm us by words or actions or even physically at times. Might have been in your childhood even. We forgive those who harmed us. We forgive those who spoke ill to us. We forgive those who did us wrong because it's allowed us to become who we are. And as we release it, we'll become mighty warriors in the kingdom of God. Lord, so bless your people tonight. Bless them with a presence of peace and comfort and power and surround them with your glory and your angels. Keep them all safe from all harm and evil and allow them to do good. Allow them to be good as you are good, Lord. And we thank you for this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you for putting